Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Lovely to be here. Um, you all have texts, yes? Um, rabbis always tell you that whatever the week of the Torah portion is, is the absolute right week. And sure enough, yet again, yesterday in uh, synagogue, we began all over again reading Vreshi. Uh, and in it is the story of creation, where we get that uh, classic line, it is not good for a person to be alone. It turns out that that's still true now. It's not good for a person to be alone. What I want to do in the half an hour that we have is just talk uh, a little informally about uh, how Jewish tradition helps us think about friendship as our lives change and we grow older. Um, so let me just start with what's uh, right at the top of the page. Let me also remind you of the power of prayer, right? Those of you who are in show on uh, Shemini Atzeret actually prayed for this to happen, and look, it happened. No, no, but it was, we stopped praying for dew and started praying for rain, so it's working. It turns out, many of you already know this, that one out of three older adults in the United States report that they are lonely. It also turns out that being lonely is as damaging to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or obesity. It is a serious health epidemic. Um, there's a wonderful book that everybody should read called Being Mortal. How many of you have read the book? It's really a classic book. I mean, it's a book that will shape the conversation that all of us are, will, are involved in and will be involved in about thinking about what happens as we grow older. Um, he notes that there are three plagues of aging, boredom, helplessness, and loneliness. Later tonight, I'm going to talk about a, uh, a process that we went through in my congregation in Los Angeles where we asked people what their fears were as they grew older. And the fears, the major fears among the boomers in my congregation were that they would become invisible, that they would become isolated, and that they would become dependent. Again, about loneliness. Um, so. Let's take a look at what Jewish tradition has to say about friendship and what our experience is about friendship as we grow older. Um, I don't know you all, but does anybody have a loud voice and like to read the first text out loud? Yes. Tell me your name. Thank you, Aaron Moskowitz. Aaron? Mm -hmm. Aaron's going to read the first. 
Houghton was a kind of miracle worker, famous for his ability to bring rain. <laughs> a famous story in the Talmud begins with an encounter between Honi and an old man planting a carob tree, which takes about 70 years to bear fruit. Honi asks, why do you plant it? You won't be around in 70 years. The man responds, when I came into the world, I found carob trees planted by my ancestors. I plant these for my descendants. How many of you know that story? Raise your hand. How many of you know that that's not the end of the story? Okay, most of us don't know that. Keep going. Although this is a well-known story, few people read it to the end. Pony falls asleep and sleeps for 70 years. When he wakes up, no one recognizes him. He feels isolated and invisible. His overwhelming loneliness leads him to pray for death, and he dies. Rabba, a Talmudic sage, comments. Hence the saying, either friendship or death. Babylonian Talmud, Ta'anit 23a. Either friendship or death. Without friendship, it's like being dead. Somebody tell me how you understand that. What does that mean to you? Well, even if you're alive, if you have no friends, there's a death. So even if you're alive, if you have no friends, it's a kind of death. Yes, anybody else? You have to have somebody to communicate with. I mean, this issue of isolation is real. Right, so it isn't literally death, although apparently it is literally death in some ways, right? It's almost like you can't see yourself unless there's somebody else in your life who's feeding you death. Oh, that's lovely. You can't, you don't really see yourself unless you're in some kind of a dialogical relationship. Martin Buber would have said exactly that same thing. It's not good for a human being to be alone. You know, why? I can go to... Uh, you know, Whole Foods and buy my own supper, but if I'm eating alone all the time, it's not good for a person to be alone. So, well, how does Jewish tradition help us think about this? So the classic text that I'm sure many of you are familiar with comes from Pirkei Avot, in which we read, Make for yourself, make of yourself, a rav, a teacher, acquire for yourself a friend. And then it goes on to say, I didn't include the Hebrew, and judge each person favorably. That's, again, a little piece of the story that we don't actually always include. So this is a familiar text. I want to ask you to think for a moment about what questions the text raises for you, specifically, Make for yourself a rabbi. Acquire for yourself a friend. What questions? Don't answer them. Just tell me what the questions are. Do you need a teacher? Do you need a friend? Do you need a teacher? Do you need a friend? Are these two separate people, or are they the same people, right? Is a rav and a chaver the same? Not clear. Good. What are the questions? Is one friend really enough? Is one friend enough? You, have, you know, how many is enough? Good question. What other questions? What approach should one take to judging others? Okay, what does friendship have to do with judging others? Does it have anything, or is there these three separate, uh, you know, is get a rabbi, acquire a friend, don't judge people, are they not connected? Yes? 
Being a friend of someone else is a mitzvah. Being a friend to someone else is a mitzvah? Okay. Of, if acquiring uh, for yourself a friend is an Okay, so the instruction then becomes you're doing a mitzvah when you become a friend to someone. Yes? What is a friend? And I think a very important question for people, I'm looking around and I see many of us are in roughly the same age cohort. How does that change as your life changes? What did a friend mean to you when you were young with kids in you know, the PTA? What did a friend mean to you for those of you that had full-time jobs, careers? Some of you, I suspect, are retired now. Are those people still your friends? Some of you maybe didn't grow up in Phoenix, I'm told, right? People, some people have retired here, right? How does friendship change? How do you acquire for yourself a friend? What else is strange about this wording? Yeah? Should a friend have the same beliefs as you do? Okay, it doesn't say acquire for yourself a friend who you agree with. It doesn't say somebody you can talk politics with, right? Um, Right. To go out, I mean, you have to go. You say acquire yourself a friend, but you have to go do the exactly right. Work. You have to do the work. So acquiring, I and mean, that's a weird word, right? What else do you acquire in Jewish life? I mean, it's a, like a it's a transactional word, right? And by the way, it's also the word for um, marriage. In a traditional Jewish marriage, a woman is acquired by a man. So that's also kind of an interesting. Um, choice of words. Um, other thoughts about this? So, yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. What does that mean to you? And does that have anything to do with friendship? So what might that have to do with friendship? And is that realistic? Judge every person favorably. Um, I found that in your life, Friends come and go, depending on what you're doing, where you are in life. And I think it's uh, pretty rare to find a friend that is for your lifetime. Okay, so that's a really an interesting question. And it's specifically an interesting question, because the very next text, Maimonides is suggesting something different. But I'm on your side and not on Maimonides' side here. Would you like to read number three out loud? Acquire for yourself a friend. So this is Maimonides commenting on that phrase. What does it mean to acquire for yourself a friend? And here's what he says. Friends are something that is necessary for a person throughout life. In a state of health and happiness, a person takes pleasure in a friend's familiar relationship. In adversity, person has recourse to them, and in old age, when the body has grown weak, the person seeks help by Maimonides, 11th century. Okay, so this is his ideal, right? It's not your experience. It's not my experience either. How many of you would say that you have a friend that fits this? Yes? When did you meet that friend? Two or three years old, and that person is still in your life? You're a lucky guy, really. And how did that happen, that this person is still in your life? You have tended the friendship. You've maintained it. Did, did you always live in the same community as this person? Uh, for many years, we did 
Okay, so that's interesting that it is, in fact, possible, but it takes work and maintaining and tending. Anybody else have that experience? Yes. I have a friend for over 40 years. For over 40 years? And it's been incredible. Uh -huh. and, uh, still and how did you maintain that friendship? Okay. Okay, so there are two parts to that kind of a friendship. One is doing stuff together, right? Going out to dinner, right? Go whatever you do with your buddies. But the other seems to be a kind of answer to your question, which is you have to judge that person favorably over all these years because there's going to be a lot of times when you might disagree, right? Anybody else want to share about that? Yes? Uh-huh. Whoa. Huh. So a friendship that happens before you have an agenda is a friendship that can sustain itself without conflict. So that's very interesting, because in a moment we're going to see that some friends are about agendas. Yes, anybody else? Yeah? Uh, and it's also a trick that's significant. I think it'd be a friend as well, although that may not be that it's never been a disagreeable word. Okay, so this is the text that we didn't read, so would you read that one, number three? Acquire for yourself a friend. How so? This teaches that a person should get a companion to eat with, drink with, study with, sleep with, and reveal secrets, the secrets of the Torah and the secrets of worldly things. I love this text. This strikes me as a real definition of a very intimate relationship. It may be a, um, an intimate relationship, although I don't actually think that when Pirkei Avot is saying sleep with, they actually mean sexual intimacy. I think they mean you go to a yeshiva, you, you know, this is your study partner, and there weren't a lot of beds, and so you slept together, right? But I choose to read this as a... Um, you know, the potential for, you know, a very powerful relationship, uh, intimate relationship that might be between uh, um, spouses or partners. But look what's a part of it. You eat with them. You said that you go out to dinner with your buddy. You drink with them. Well, we all know that people uh, drink with their buddies. We heard about that actually very recently. <laughs> Study with. How many of you have ever had the experience of being in a partnership study? Um, somebody tell me what that relationship is like, partnership study. What, what was it like for you? Well, it was a Musar uh, okay. study. Uh, we were not physically in the same city. Uh -huh. uh, so we got to know each other and maybe a little bit of an uh, unusual circumstance. Okay, so you studied regularly with somebody on the phone. Yes a Jewish text, Correct. and that Jewish text was Musar, kind of ethical um, teaching, part of a wonderful program, perhaps with uh, Alan Marinus, right? Okay, it's wonderful ways to study. Um, it's interesting that with new technology, and this is also important, friendship becomes possible in ways that wouldn't have been possible before. Whoever your chevruta was, your study partner, 
In the olden days, you would have to be in the same yeshiva or be in the same town, and now you can actually study on the telephone or in Zoom or Skype, right? Chaver, which means friend, chavruta, study partner, and it is connected to the word that has to do with cleaving to something. Um, sleep with, we talked about that. Reveal secrets, the secrets of Torah and the secrets of worldly things. So clearly in your Musar study partnership, you are revealing secrets of Torah. In our relationship with our friends, what are the secrets of worldly things? There's a sale going on in Nordstrom's, right? That's a uh, secret, right? I think that might mean something a little more than that, and that is for a true friendship, you have to reveal about yourself. Okay. So that's interesting. The issue of vulnerability in order to really maintain friendship or to create new friendships, people need to be able to be vulnerable. Okay, back to Maimonides, who writes about this a lot. Um, somebody want to read number five? Maimonides explains the Mishnah based on three levels of friendship. The lowest level is a friendship based on mutual benefits, such as the relationship of two business partners. The Rambam divides the, ne the next level in two, friendship based on pleasure and friendship based on security. Both comprise friendship based on a sense of equilibrium. But the latter sub-level is higher. Friendship based on security is such that each person finds in the other someone whom he can trust, someone with whom he can let down his defenses and share all profound matters and innermost thoughts, good and bad, without fear. The highest level of friendship is of a lofty character. Both friends yearn and aspire for true good, where each partner feels responsible for helping the other to grow in self-understanding. Okay, so what is Maimonides saying here? He's saying, now, we don't have to agree with this, but I think it's an interesting thing for us to think about. Remember, he's writing about this, you know, in the 12th century, right? Um, in the 11th is what I wrote down, but uh, he died in, what, 1205 or something? So is that the 12th century, the 11th century? I don't know. But he was an old guy, right? He didn't, he's not living now, okay? <laughs> Three kinds of friendship, he says. The first is friendship that's based on mutual benefit. Business partners, for example. Give me an exa another example of a friendship that you would say is based on um, mutual benefit. Carpools. Carpools, okay. What else? Business, maybe colleagues at work, right? Um, one kind of friendship. The second level, he says there are two parts to it. Friendship based on pleasure and friendship based on security. What is friendship based on pleasure? Drinking buddy. A drinking buddy. What else? Sporting. A sport, you know, somebody you go to the you know, ball game with or to the opera with, right? Somebody who does stuff that brings you pleasure. Um, and what, is, what does he seem to be saying about security? To make sure that whatever you say to each other won't go any further. Okay, so he divides, now I think this is a little weird, frankly. It doesn't feel to me like those are the same kinds of friends. Pleasure, I go to the movies with somebody. Security, somebody who I 
can trust. Maybe it's the same person, maybe not. It's interesting that he sees those at the same level. And then what is the third level for him, the highest? More than sharing wisdom, where you bring out the best in each other. That for him, the highest level of friendship is somebody who pushes you to be the very best version of yourself. Now, I want us to actually think about this and ask whether, do you really want that? I mean, seriously, you do? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a little too much to have somebody who is always pushing you to be better than you are. It also depends on how it's, how it's done. Okay. Is it done in a critical manner, or is it really done in a way that's positive? Okay, so how it's done, he doesn't really talk about that, at least not here. But wouldn't, wouldn't your, a true friend be one who could combine all of these? Well, that's an interesting question. But my question for you is the same as my question for myself at this stage of my life. I'm retired. I'm a recent widow. My kids don't live in L.A. What am I looking for now in a friend? And how has that changed over the years. So I want you to think about that for a minute. And if you're willing, tell me something about what you are looking for in your friends now that might be different from what you were looking for when you were considerably younger. Well, when I was younger, I was looking for friends to do things with. And now I'm more looking for friends that I can sit quietly with and talk to and just kind of get to know each other. When I was younger, I didn't really care about getting to know them. The question was, let's go watch a ball. Okay, so notice the, in Maimonides' terms, the pleasure friend has now become somebody that you can be, be open, with. open with, vulnerable with, somebody you can trust, someone with whom you can let down your defenses, share profound matters and innermost thoughts, good and bad, without fear, right? Okay, good, yeah. I broaden that a little. One thing I think to look for is those traits, to find a community that has those traits in a group of friends who we, because we need that social environment. Okay, so that's interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit later this evening. The relationship between you know, with the role of community, which is different from the role of friends. What, what he's talking about here seems to be a kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship. And I think at this stage of our lives, some of us are looking for community in a different way than we might have been when we were younger. Um, what about that third level? The level of friend who um, feels responsible for helping you grow in self-understanding. So that's still not that third level, though. That is, I think it is. It, it is I think, well. I think it's that sense of feeling responsible okay. for somebody else's peacefulness, tranquility, support. 
helping them grow in self-understanding? So what I've learned in this boomer work that I've been doing now for some time is that everybody needs a minion. You might not need a minion to pray in, although some people do, but you need a minion. You need those nine people that are going to show up when you need them. And how do you create a community that at least gives you that minion? I think that that's really critical, particularly at this stage of our lives. Because maybe when we were younger and we were taking our kids to uh, you know, carpool, there's somebody who was the carpool person, but they might not show up for us. In this. We need a minion. And the question at this stage of our life is, how do you cultivate that minion? And how do you take responsibility for being part of somebody else's minion? Yeah, uh, yes, behind, isn't behind you. Well, that's an interesting question, right? I have that same challenge with Maimonides. I mean, when I have friends and, you know, who are pushing me to be the very best version of myself, sometimes I think, give me a break, you know? I mean, I'm not... I mean, I, so I, I think it, it's an interesting question, what we're looking for now and what it means to continue to grow as we grow older. I mean, how do I know how to help somebody grow in self-understanding? What, what Okay, so that's interesting. How do we know what helps somebody else grow? On the other hand, with that kind of friendship, maybe we do, you know, and, and what that means. Okay, a couple of other comments? Well, I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm feeling very grateful. I'm also in an in-person circle with nine women, and through Temple High, and have been for five years, and we study Musar, and we've all partnered up, you know, in all combinations by now, but it's evolved to where... You know, when something's going on, we study it from a Musar lens and go over the Midah, and we're there for everybody's life cycles. And we do try to bring an understanding, whether it's a wonderful thing happening or a bad thing. And so... Find yourself a Haver that you can study with and that you can share secrets of Torah and secrets of worldly things. Um, let, in the interest of time, I know that I have four more minutes. Uh, somebody read number seven. Who would like to read? Yes? More and more psychologists have found that for older persons, loneliness is not necessarily linked to the death of a spouse or to how infrequently they see their children or grandchildren, but to the absence of personal relationships with peers, friends of their own age, or any age who share their interests and with whom they sustain so this is pretty important. Betty Friedan, a visionary, you know, in many, many ways, wrote this book called The Fountain of Age, long before anybody was ever talking about any of this stuff. And this is an insight that she discovered that um, I think is actually uh, quite significant. And it's interesting that um, one of the things that uh, has... You know, as a rabbi, you do a lot of um, work around loss and mourning, and you pay attention to the mourners, the spouse, the parents, the siblings, the child, right? Those are the technical categories of mourning. 
What I've discovered as I've gotten older, and I also saw it with the death of my own husband, that there were other mourners who were completely invisible, his best friends. They were mourners too, and they didn't have any halachic responsibilities. They weren't supposed to say Kaddish. How do you mourn a friend? You know, so we have our families, and those relationships are all different and complicated, and we have our friends. And at this stage of our lives, you know, at some point, God forbid, you're a very long friend that you've known since you were two or since you were three, when that person dies, maybe in another city, how do you mourn the loss of somebody who is so important to you? So these are issues that our ancestors didn't think about. I wouldn't guess that Maimonides actually thought about them, although maybe he did. But it's stuff for us to think about as we create a Judaism that is meaningful and nurturing. In the last two minutes that I have, I want to remind you of this wonderful part of our tradition. You all know that there are 100 blessings you're supposed to say every day. And among those potential traditional blessings are blessings that you say when you see a friend you haven't seen for over a month. And that blessing is the Shekhyanu. So you, don't, you haven't seen your buddy for a month, you see that woman and you say the Shekhyanu. How <coughs> lovely is that to acknowledge in ritual that that person is a blessing. And more interesting, after if you, haven't, if you see a friend that you haven't seen for a year, you say a different blessing. And what's the blessing? Blessed are you, Holy One of Being, whose presence fills creation, who resurrects the dead. <laughs> and what's interesting to me, linking it back to our very opening study, text, either friendship or death, who is being resurrected? If I see my friend after a year, that person has been resurrected to me, and I've been resurrected in the relationship because, as you pointed out, relationships are dialogic, right? The I and thou that we can experience in um, good friendship is, I think, part of what our tradition teaches us when it says it is not good for a human being to be alone. Before you end, I just want to say what we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about how you cultivate new friendships how many times it takes of being with somebody. There's all this study about that. It's pretty interesting stuff. How do you end toxic friendships? At this stage in my life, who am I ready to let go of? <laughs> Seriously. And how do I do that? Becomes very important. I don't have that much energy. I don't have that much time left. There's less time ahead than there was behind. What am I carrying around these people that are not nurturing me in any of these ways. What about social media? We already talked about how technology can help us in relationships with like study partners. What about Facebook? Is that good for friendships? Is that bad for friendships? These are all issues that we might want to continue to talk about um, as you continue in this um, journey of getting good at getting older. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. 
At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.